I want to start today by just sort of taking a second and kind of looking around at the current state of humanity. You know, I know it's a a big topic, but it's actually sort of encouraging. I mean, if you look at people today, you can see they've clearly sort of evolved past the selfishness of of, of past generations, that people really are are taking, uh, you know, their selves and putting themselves aside and doing what's best for others around them. Things like murder and drug abuse, sexual perversion, these things are pretty much, um, as a society, we've pretty much moved past them. They're pretty much non-existent. And that shouldn't be a surprise to anybody, because as you look throughout history, you see that the nations and governments that are formed by humanity have all pretty much succeeded beyond our wildest expectations. I mean, man is actually really good at governing themselves. And as I look at the world today and the societies around us, I really get this feeling of peace and, and the sense of calm as I, I think of how much all of the nations are uniting together, the Middle East and the, the, the Arab countries and, and all of the different European and Western countries are really coming together as, as one. And I don't think it will be long before we unite as one world and just sort of come together, right? wrong, right? I mean, I'm really just trolling you. The facts are actually the complete opposite of that. I mean, if you want any fact that human beings are selfish, just think of this statistic. Since 2011, 250 people have died by selfie. 250 people. That means 250 people, you know, they're standing on the side of the cliff and they're right there at that beautiful sunset and they're getting this perfect picture. Maybe they're on the 40th or 50th picture, just trying to get that perfect angle. And all of a sudden the cliff breaks off and they fall to their death. You know, this is a perfect example of how today we are so consumed with ourselves. We care so much about ourselves. It's really sad. And you know, an even more sad fact is this. In the U.S. alone, 72,000 people died by drug overdoses last year. 72,000 people dead. And what's even more sad than that is if you think of the people who were left behind from that drug overdose. What about the families that were broken up, the children who lost a mother or a father, the parents who lost a son or a daughter? This is an epidemic. This is something that is terrible, that's affecting the United States, and, and many people are dying. And yet, uh, as a government, as a society, we're still allowing the, the situation that caused this epidemic to be in place. The, the drug companies and people seeking to make money on opiates are still selling them and doctors are still giving them out to patients even though they know that they're addictive. And these patients are taking these opioids and when they run out of a prescription and they can no longer get them, they end up going to the street because they're an addictive substance and they need their fix. You know, even more sad than, than drug addiction and, and overdoses is if you think about this, in the U.S. today, a baby can be aborted in the third trimester. That means 40 weeks. The baby is 40 weeks old, which is considered full term. You know, I've had the blessing of, of holding three beautiful little babies in my hand that were fresh born. And it is really an awesome thing to, 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 to behold the the beauty of a freshly born baby, you know? And it's actually kind of sad when you give the baby to the doctor for the first time and the doctor takes the baby and gives the baby a little shot. Like, 
I'll never forget my daughter, May, when I, when I watched her, she got a little shot by the doctor and she sort of looked at me with this look like, how dare you allow this person to hurt me? She, she had this sentimental cry that just came out and me and her grandma were sitting in the room and we just sort of looked at each other like, oh my gosh, right? It was so sad. And to think that there is a doctor, there is a person out there who, who swore to do no harm that would actually murder, that would actually kill a baby, that would actually inflict death upon a child like that, to me is disgusting. To me, it is disgusting. You know, if you had taken my 40-week-old baby and tried to murder him, you would have been facing one really tough and angry dad. It's really disgusting that as a society today, we're okay with it, that there are actually people that talk about it as if it's a good thing. You know, in 2018, there were 542 murders in Chicago alone. Mankind is, is just like always. We're raging against each other. We're sick. We're murdering each other. We're fighting. We're angry. We have this, this, this thing inside of us. It's so evident. You know, and, and if you look at marriage in the United States, 40 to 50% of marriages today are ending in divorce. And that doesn't even count the fact that a lot of people aren't even getting married at all. They're just sort of having sex without wedlock. They're, they're having babies and then they break up and, and those babies have to live without a mom or a dad. And that's just really sad. And I know that statistics can be misleading sometimes. So what if you examine your own heart? What if you look at your own heart? Do you not hate your brother? Do you not hate your sister? Do you not have of envy and bitterness and anger and resentment towards even people in your own family? Not to mention the people in your, in your neighborhood or the people who cut you off on the freeway or the people you have to work with who try to constantly do you under, right? Do you wrong? There's so many things in society that, that we have to fight against and nobody makes us happy. We notice that as humanity, as, as a whole, there's no peace. There's no peace in our hearts. And the question is, why is it like this? I mean, it's clear to me. It should be clear to you. Mankind is diseased. There, throughout all history, humanity is a diseased creation. Humanity is in a position where, you know, if you look at every single government, if you look at the Holocaust, if you look at even ancient governments and, and how they crumbled and fell because of the brokenness and, and corrupt nature of mankind, you have to ask yourself, why? Why are we like this? You know, people today will, will excuse these sort of things and say, well, you know, you know, I believe in the science, right? Like science is going to resolve everything. If we would all just be rational, if we would all just be tolerant, if we would all just accept each other, you know, if we would all just, you know, realize that science has proved this and that and the other thing. And the reality is that science doesn't offer any help. Science doesn't offer an explanation of why we're in the situation we're in. And it also doesn't offer any help to resolve the situations that we're in. Yes, we can, you know, solve diseases by, by you know, scientific uh, discoveries, but that doesn't mean that we can solve the most uh, root and fundamental disease of mankind, which is our corrupt nature. You know, other people will sort of say, well, politics will solve it. You know, politics has the answer. The government coming together and, and paying my student loans or, or you know, 
helping me get along and doing my things is going to make my life better. And that's going to cause a society that I want to live in. And they sort of imagine that government is going to come in and and be the cure to these ills that we have as a society. And if you look at history alone, it proves that that is not a reality. If you look at the governments of the world, if you look at the nations of the world, you see that from the people who are completely deserted on a desert island to people who are in the middle of big cities, we all are corrupt. We all have this nature of corruptness, and no government has ever succeeded in solving that issue. And you know, there's another class of people, and those are the people who want to remain ignorant. They act as if, you know, there's nothing wrong with mankind, that it's all natural and and just, you know, we're going to evolve past it. And, you know, to me, it's just they've decided to remain ignorant. They don't care. They just go throughout their life and they just, you know, do whatever they can to just get their, you know, money and 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 have a happy life. And they just accept the fact that, you know, it's not going to work out. And so today I wanted to ask, what does the Bible say? Of what, how does it explain this fallen nature? Because it's obvious to me that society as a whole and man and governments, none of them have an, a, a reason for this corruption, first of all, and none of them have a solution on how it can be solved. And so I want to know what the Bible says about this. And if you look in the book of Genesis, there's a story of God and how he created the heavens and the earth and how he created man. And that story speaks of how he created Adam and Eve. And it says that he created Adam. He created man in God's own image, in his own image. And, you know, there are many aspects to that. But one of them is that, you know, mankind is able to have free will. And so the the Bible says that man was created in God's image with free will so that we can choose to love him, so that we can choose to obey him. So if you think back to the first creation between Adam and Eve, they were given this choice to obey God, to love God, to serve God. But what the Bible says is that, that, that man decided not to do that. It says that God put them in the middle of this, this place called the Garden of Eden and that the, he gave them all these trees and fruits and things to eat. But he told them of one tree they couldn't eat. It says, of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day you eat of it, you shall surely die. So God gave them this commandment not to eat of this one tree. And this is the commandment that it says that they broke. It says that man disobeyed God. It says, when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and that the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took of it and ate. So this is the Bible's explanation of what happened in the beginning. It says God created the heavens and the earth. He created man. He put them in a garden and he gave them the choice to obey him. He gave them one commandment and they decided to disobey God. And so God said, when you eat of that tree, when you do disobey me, if you do, it says that you will surely die. And so this is what the result of this disobedient has ha, disobedience and rebellion has caused. So the Bible's explanation of the way, the reason we are the way we are today is that way back when he first created mankind, mankind sinned against him and became a fallen creature, became somebody who was in rebellion against God, and that that rebellion caused death to come upon Adam and Eve 
which was then passed down to their future generations, to every single person. You know, Adam and Eve had children, and they had children, and they had children, and all the way down into us. Because if you think about humanity, the way that it works is we're all born, you know, and our parents gave birth to us, and their parents gave birth to them, and their parents gave birth to them. We're sort of like this big family tree. And what the Bible says is that family tree started with Adam and Eve, and that they did this sin which caused them to die, which caused corruption to come upon all humanity. And so, you know, if you read the story, you see that Adam lived like 900 years after that. And so the question is like, what is the death? What does it mean by death? And the reality is there's a couple different things. First of all, we know that 100% of us are all going to die. And so this is how the, the Bible explains death. It explains the death of man. We were originally created to live forever, but we die because of this corruption that, was, that, was, that happened to man as a result of sin. And not only do we die physically, but we die spiritually. Let's look back at what it says. It says um, that after man ate in, uh, of the tree, it says they both of them, or the eyes of both of them were open and they knew that they were naked. Then the Lord God called to Adam and said to him, Where are you? So he said, I heard your voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. So after man ate, after Adam and Eve ate of the the tree that God told them not to, what happened was they began to sow fig leaves, and they began to hide from God. And the reason they hid from God is because they knew that they were naked. They knew that they had sinned. And what happened was that sin and rebellion had worked a curse on them. And so all of a sudden they they were separated from God. They didn't no longer wanted to have fellowship with him because they knew that they were naked. They knew the shame of their nakedness and they separated themselves from God. And I think this is a pretty clear picture of what sin causes. Sin causes not only death to us physically, but also death to us spiritually. Because when you do something, let's say, for instance, to give an example, let's say if you were to lie to your parents when you were a kid, you know, if you've ever lied to your mom and dad and said you did something and and then you go home and you see them and you sort of try to hide in your room or avoid them. And the reason is because you lied and you know you did something wrong. And so your your natural instinct is to hide yourself from them because you don't want to get caught. You don't want to be around them because you lied to them. And in the same way, the sinfulness of man, the sinfulness of Adam and Eve Eve caused them to separate themselves from God. And so it was a spiritual death as well as a physical death. God and man were separated by this sin because of the shame of sinfulness. So we see a pretty clear picture of what what the Bible says happens is that it said that Adam and Eve sinned, that they fell short, and that that sin caused death uh, to come upon them, not only physical death, but also spiritual death. And like Paul says, he says, just as through one man sin entered the world and death through sin, and thus sin, and thus death spread to all men because all sinned. So we see that Paul is breaking this down in the Bible and saying, not only did this happen to Adam and Eve, but as they had children and their children had children and their children had children, the same corrupt nature 
uh, from them was spread to their children and their grandchildren and their great-grandchildren all the way down to us. So sin entered through one man, which was Adam, and it spread to all of the world. And death, spiritually and physically, was a result of that sin. And so death spread to all men because we all sin. So now you understand the Bible, the Bible's explanation of this. And, you know, if you want proof of that, if you want to think of, of okay, well, how is that relevant to us today? I want you to think about this, and I want to examine one more point about this uh, story in the, in the book of um, Genesis. It says, When the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and desirable to make one wise. That's when she ate it. She looked at it. She saw that it was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and desirable to make one wise. And the reason I wanted to bring this up is because I think it's kind of funny. It's kind of like interesting that we actually share this same family likeness. You know, if you've ever looked at your child and you've wondered, you know, how did they act exactly like you do and how did that get passed on? In the same way, if you look at Eve's sin here, you can see that same uh, sin nature clearly evident in us. It says that she, that it says what she did was she looked at it with the eyes. It says when she saw that the tree was good for food, right? The first thing she did was, was look at it in her eyes. And this is the lust of the eyes. If you think about a lot of sin that you've committed in your life, a lot of things you've done wrong, did it not start by, by you looking at this thing and seeing it and saying, yeah, that looks good. You know, I know, it, I know it's going to be wrong, but it looks good, right? You see people having fun and, and partying and getting drunk and you think, oh, I'm going to do that. That looks great, you know? And then it says that uh, the tree was good for food when she looked at it. So that's the lust of the flesh. What It's going to make me feel good, right? And mankind does this exact same thing. This is actually something provable in our nature. Do you not know that every time you sin, have you ever gotten to the point where you've looked back on something you've done wrong and you wonder why? And it was because the lust of the flesh, because your flesh saw that it was good for food, because you saw something that was going to make you feel good in your flesh, you did it. And then it says that it was pleasant to the eyes and desirable to make one wise. All right. And the last one is the pride of life. You know, all of us today, all mankind, if you look at us, we're all sort of infected by the same disease. What is the pride of life? You know, she looked at the fruit and saw that it was desirable to make one wise. And so we as human beings, we're all looking at different things around us and seeing what's desirable to make us into a better state. You look at the, the people that are trying to work out and there's people that are trying to, you know, eat a vegan lifestyle or, or you know, make, go to get the best college education. We're all competing with each other to make ourselves into better individuals. And that competition is because we have pride in our hearts. It's all part of the same fallen nature. It's all part of our family likeness. So when you look at the sin of Eve and how she sinned, it's pretty evident that that same disease is what we're suffering from. And I think it's interesting that the Bible, you know, over 2,000, 3,000 years ago, described exactly the nature that we have today, the nature that we're still struggling with. And men want to act as if government is going to solve this, as if evolution is going to solve this. But 3,000 years of history have proven them wrong. 
And the fact is that we still suffer from these things, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. And man is just as sinful as they were in the days when the book of Genesis was written. So, having said all that, what does that mean for us? You know, what is, what, okay, so we all know that we're, we're, we're sinners. We all can see what the Bible says about that. So, what it means for us is that we're in serious danger, right? If you think about, uh, you know, God, God is a holy God. He's a just God. He's somebody who expects people to act righteously. And that's a good thing, right? It's a good thing that God is a just God. It says, shall the, not the judge of the earth do right? I mean, I think that it's clear that, you know, it's better for God to be right than for, and, and to be a just God than for him to be somebody who's evil and, and vindictive and doing things wrong. So, you know, that's a good thing. But nonetheless, we all have this, this nature of rebellion. We all have this sinful nature inside of us that it, that it wars against the commandments of God, and, and it, it causes us to sin against God. And we are at the point where when we act, we have free will, but we still choose to, like Adam and Eve did, rebel against God's command. And we have no power in ourselves to, to really overcome this sin nature. You know, if you think of the Ten Commandments, those are pretty simple. But nobody is, that I know of has ever lived even according to the Ten Commandments. And, you know, if you look at the way Jesus expounds them, he says that whoever looks at a woman to lust after her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. You know, he says that whoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. So instead of thou shalt not commit adultery, think of it like this. If you look on a woman to lust after her, you've committed adultery in your heart. What man today can say they've never looked on a woman to lust after her? Nobody. We've all done it. And there are people today who are so addicted to pornography that, they, that they're looking on other women and lusting after them in their heart. They've committed so much adultery with this pornography that they're barely even interested in their wife anymore. These are the results of sin. And what about those who are angry? You know, the Bible says thou shalt not commit murder, right? But at the same time, Jesus says if, you, if you're even angry with somebody, you've committed murder in your heart. Because the law of God was not meant to just be external, but it was also meant to be internal, spiritual. Things about our internal state are what's actually going to be judged. So we're in this position where we all fall short of the glory of God, and we're going to stand before a righteous judge who's going to judge righteously. The Bible says God will judge the secrets of men. God will judge our hearts one day. He will judge who we are and our thought life, and and how we've acted and behaved in this world. And so we're going to stand before this God, this, this perfect, righteous judge. The Bible says that God's standard is perfection. It says, For whosoever shall keep the whole law, and yet stumble in one point, he is guilty of all. It says that those who continue in sin, or those who continue in sin will be judged. You know, the wicked shall be turned into hell, the Bible says. And I think that's a pretty serious thing. You know, a lot of people today will sort of look at you weird if you talk about hell or they'll think that, you know, oh, like hell isn't a real thing or whatever. But the reality is it is real and it is something that we're all in danger of. 
You know, we are in a state of rebellion against God. How can we expect to be in heaven with God when we, as in our own nature, our very souls are in a state of rebellion against him? And our, our, our very nature uh, disobeys his commandments. How could a God who's just, how could a God who does things right accept us in heaven? And the reality is he can't. He can't do that. It says in the, in the Bible that there shall by no means enter in, into heaven, into it, anything that defiles or causes an abomination or a lie. And it says, because God is of purer eyes than to behold evil and cannot look on wickedness. Why would God accept us into heaven in our current state? You know, today we're in a society where evil things are going on. How could God, how could God allow the person who murders a 40-week-old child to stand before him in heaven? How could God allow us, uh, sinful creatures as we are, you know, people who are, are fallen and broken in every state, in every relationship, in everything we do, we're continually evil. The Bible says that the heart of man is desperately wicked. Out of, the, out of our heart comes these evil thoughts and, and murderers and, and adulteries. These are the, this is the state that we're in. And, and yet someday we're going to be judged before God and our eternal state is going to be decided based on who we are. Are we going to be in heaven or in hell? And so man is in this desperate condition. We are desperate. We are in a position of brokenness. And it's, this is what the Bible says. And I think it's the most clear statement of where we are today and why we are where we are. You, know, you see people of every different kind of political orientation or of every different kind of mindset arguing with each other about how they're wrong and how religion is this and God is that. And just man's rebellion is proof of the fact that what the Bible says is true in every case. We can't even, you know, make a successful society because we're so broken. Imagine trying to stand before a holy God. Imagine one day when, you know, you stand before him and he's going to judge the thoughts of your heart. He's going to weigh your heart and see what your motivations were. So none of us can withstand that judgment on our own. None of us can, can be, you know, to the point where we can stand before God. And people who say hell isn't real, they should think about it. I mean, imagine you stand before God and, and he looks at you and and you're, you, you fall on your face because God, he's just this amazing, he's the creator of the heavens and the earth. His voice is like many waters. You hear him speak and you, you crumble before him because he's so mighty and amazing. And he looks at you and he says, depart from me for I never knew you. That is the essence of hell. Can you imagine being cast away from eternity, from the most beautiful God, the most beautiful thing you've ever seen in your life and cast into utter darkness. This is the position that mankind is in. We're either going to heaven or hell. And the only way, the only way that we're going to make it to heaven is not on our own merits, but we need salvation. We need redemption. 